0: Hey everybody, Jordan here. The PH is silent and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D show, I have special guest host Indoor Adventurer with me. We talk about his campaigns playing Shadowrun, running Waterdeep Dragon Heist, as well as I answer some more questions about Hot Springs Island and we talk a little bit about Hex Crawls versus Mega Dungeons. So let's dive right in. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D show. My name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined, not always, but just today, maybe again in the future, by Indoor Adventurer, um whose Twitter handle is simple and keen. You should all go and follow him. He does really cool things. Indoor Adventurer, welcome and thank you for being my awesome co-host on the Saturday Morning D&D show. How are you today?
1: i am doing fantastic uh i would like to say back in march when i started all of my channel i had one goal in mind and that was to get on the saturday morning D&D show uh before year's end man i got three months left i'm just gonna throw i'm just gonna throw in the towel i'm done
0: you're done you're like uh bucket list no well, not bucket list but like uh yeah internet celebrity list you've like yeah. conquered yeah. all of your it's gonna your cancel my tax
1: unplugged ticket it'll be fine so what's next what's
0: thing. next who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Stream uh, seven days a week, maybe, or something crazy. Oh like yeah! That. <laughs>
1: I'll just I'll become the variety streamer. Yeah. I'll change everything. I'll rebrand. We'll be fine. <laughs> and
0: you're you're on Twitch right here, correct? Yeah. What's your yes, Twitch I, handle? Uh, or...
1: My Twitch handle is indoor underscore adventurer. Okay. Uh, which. Yeah, that was uh, back when I did video game stuff. That's uh, That was the name that I took on, and I've just kind of kept with it because I like the
0: name. Yeah, yeah, no, it's like uh, I did the same thing with Jordan with a PH. That was like an inside joke with me and my friends back in 2011 when I started my Twitter account, and that's mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, well, my Twitter's already Jordan with a PH. Why don't I just make my YouTube channel that? And now it's stuck. So it's kind of funny how those things happen. Like,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, just kidding can't go back
0: (laughs) um indoor adventure also has a youtube channel you should check it out uh we'll put links in the doobly-doo and in the podcast uh what do they call the podcast description notes something but like doobly-doo still works it'll be there um and you can (laughs) uh check out all of his stuff he actually makes really great videos and videos that i'm envious of i think i told you this when you created um your the history of the um living campaign series that was a really good video and really informative, and I really enjoyed it, so. Well, I
1: have I have another history video that I've been trying to find time to record and edit, but it's all written out. Oh, it's good. actually about uh, the Greyhawk setting. Like, nice. as just a campaign setting, what, what real-world things influenced that, kind of, like, what led to the decisions that were made for this setting, not necessarily, like, what you do which is more about the actual history and everything like yeah, that yeah.
0: inside the world. The like fantasy history as opposed to the written or the real. Yeah. Yeah. The real history. Yeah. So no, that's really cool. Um, you should definitely go check out his YouTube channel and subscribe and all that jazz. Cause it's, it, it's awesome. And I really like it. Um, D and D news. Is there anything that happened in the news that you can think of? Uh, I know. Lucian is better at this than I am. So yeah, I'm, I, <laughs>
1: Man, I get real busy throughout the week. Yeah, I, I know. Am very bad at I know. Um,
0: they had a couple of YouTube videos, the Dungeons and Dragons channel, about creating subclasses and things like that. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't get to watch them, but they're on my watch later list. So I think Wizards of the Coast is kind of pushing more for us to be creators. If that makes sense, like the the general populace, like you can homebrew your own content really easy. You don't have to wait for us to give you a vampire. Like here's how you would play a vampire or here's how you would play um, uh, an undead creature or something like that. You could actually create these own rules yourself if you wanted to, which I thought was really cool. And so I'm curious about those videos because I think uh, although we like published official content for adventure league and various other things um i think they're also trying to push people like you don't have to wait for us like you can create your own stuff
1: (laughs) so with that in mind do you think that uh the wayfire's wayfarer's guide to eberron because they published that on the dm's guild do you think that that was more of like trying to get people to look at the dm's guild just as like if you aren't familiar with it to then realize like, oh, all of these people are creating a bunch of content. Because I know that before Wizards posted like, hey, here's the tortle package or any of these other things, I didn't really know right. that the place existed at all.
0: Um, I'm there quite a bit because of my channel and buying PDFs to thus get lore to research for my videos. So um, I'm on Drive RPG a bunch in the DMs Guild. Um, and there's some really interesting stuff. Yeah, like uh, I think you make an argument there. I think that is a a multifaceted um, project. Like it's got a lot of different layers to it that they were testing things out, i.e., like, will digital things sell well? Do people want PDFs over physical books? Do people want living documents that we can update and change? So, uh, because I remember in fourth edition, they changed the way that magic missile worked so that it worked more rather than like rolling an attack. It did automatic damage, kind of like what it does in fifth edition. And that was a a big, big thing in the fourth edition community. And they were really upset about that, that wizards changed that. But the players who had the books had the option of playing the old way, or they could play with the updated errata. And I think with like living books, if they change stuff like that, is it going to make people upset? Because I guess you still have your old PDFs, but if you ever go download it again to get the updated material, it's going to have the changes that people don't like. Um, yeah. I think it's, I think this is a, a big experiment and we'll see, but I don't know. I'm, I've been reading a lot of uh, the Wayfinder's guide to Eberron and I like that it's a living document. I like that it's a PDF because I can like do control F to search and find different things and, and basically I'm not, and that's what I do with all of my PDFs that I get for lore is I, as I'm, uh, yeah. So here's how I make YouTube videos, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> I find secret. a subject and I'll find, oh, it's referenced in these PDFs. And then I'll hit control F and type in the name of that subject so I can go through the PDF and find out where it's mentioned and thus read all of the like history and little tidbits on it before I write a video. It saves me an incredible amount of time rather than, like, oh, let's read Races to Feyrune like, from cover to cover, which is just kind of a daunting experience when I have a week to make a video, so. Yeah. Yeah. It should be interesting. <laughs> so... Yes, uh, come for a whole. It says uh, it would be nice if they have a change log. And I also agree with that. And I was reading on Twitter, or not Twitter, um, Reddit a couple of days ago, that people were saying, like, you know, this is really cool that it has all these updates and things like that. But when they do make updates, they don't say when they made it, which is kind of nice because we have the errata, or it is not nice, actually. Sorry, the opposite of nice. It is frustrating but what is nice is like we have the errata from um like the dungeon master's guide and the player's handbook and that does reference what they what they changed and where so it would be nice if we had a change log um i would like that just to see how it was updated but they're choosing not to so i don't this know.
1: thing that we have is just looking through jeremy crawford's twitter account yeah that's trying to find <laughs>
0: something that is that yeah that's exactly what we do is we just sit on twitter and like okay uh who's the guy that does that for every like rule explanation that Jeremy Crawford does? He takes the, the Twitter snapshot of it and he puts it on a website and he's basically categorizing like was this rule answered ever? And I can't remember the name of him, but it's well, been a godsend. He's, he's a hero. Yeah, he's, he's a, a hero, hero among the men, an unsung hero. It's really awesome.
1: Guy needs Patreon. I'll I'll give him a buck every month <laughs> to just build the offered
0: stuff. Who doesn't have Patreon at this point? um there are people that have Patreon. well there you go but <laughs> there are people that have patreon that i'm really surprised i'm just like um okay and then you check it it's like you've got like 30 people following you like holy cow that's amazing yeah uh, no, like one of my buddies really cool.
1: all he does is make twitter bots and he gets like 35 bucks a month there you go see
0: it's, like, it's so cool
1: i'm make twitter bots <laughs>
0: <laughs> but Let's dive into some games because normally it's uh, Lucian and myself and you guys kind of hear about the same games that we're always playing, but Indoor is playing a plethora of interesting games. So Indoor Adventure, what have you been doing this week in D&D or in RPGs in general? (laughs) uh,
1: Yeah, I'm going to say RPGs in general because normally it's D&D, but this week uh, I did actually switch it up a little bit. So I I was very excited for that. So Monday Nights is when I play a uh, fifth edition homebrew campaign that I have been working on for like the past two years now. And it the, the way that that started was very much a like, oh, I want to make a game for my friends. And like we just kept rolling random tables to see what the world generated for us. But then when I actually got the idea for a plot and, and everything like that, started mm-hmm. learning more about the world, I then just scrapped that world, plucked players because a deity wanted them to, and threw them into the new plane. <laughs> uh, that's currently uh, that's currently what uh, Cyberwolf in chat is playing through on my Monday game. Uh, He's currently playing a Dragonborn Bloodhunter, and that, that crew brings it every week. Like, what is a Bloodhunter? Are- uh, so Blood Hunter is Matt Mercer's uh, custom class that's kind of like The Witcher, okay. where uh, you're like Monster Hunter plus Ultra, where like you go out, uh, you can cut your hand to use blood to like, cause uh, a, a specific kind of elemental damage to go on your weapons, as long as you hold on to that weapon. So in Cyberwolf's case, he uses a crossbow that has a ridge on the outside, so he just brings his hand down the side of the crossbow to cause it to bleed onto the bow bow then has electric energy and he or fire energy and he just starts shooting people from the distance so at, at level one you already get your elemental damage bonus that's only like a d4 but you also have to take damage onto yourself in order to use those abilities okay so it's very risky um and you know, those guys, okay,
0: so you take yeah. straight damage, you don't take like hit dice damage or anything like that.
1: You lose out on your maximum hit points.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah, no, that's the one that gets real dicey real quick. Uh, mostly because uh, that was one of the things that, like, the Bloodhunter ability to take damage onto yourself when you do stuff. Uh, that was actually kind of behind uh, that crit roll problem, I want, I want to say problem of character death that came out a while ago. I say problem because that that affected my Twitter account for weeks and weeks and weeks of just <laughs> not talking about, like, just still talking about it. Yeah. But, like, that, uh, because that character took damage onto themselves because they couldn't think of anything else to do that their character would do at the time. Yeah. And that resulted in kind of a negative experience for the community. Yeah. Uh, not for the player. He seems fine with his new guy. So, more power to him,
0: yeah, yeah um,
1: but yeah, blood hunters super awesome. we have a halfling barbarian who are trying to figure out how we can get heavy weapons into the hands of because small creatures can't use a heavy wizard prop- did it,
0: a wizard did it, yeah, yeah, give him a magic something or other yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we also have a I think is really cool. we have a Shadarkai cleric and a a Ladrin paladin,
0: wow. and
1: they the dynamic that those two that the players have is fantastic and the dynamic that the characters are having with each other as well is just phenomenal i i love those guys uh, tuesday game um, i play uh waterdeep dragon heist i just started that campaign up uh, well i'm going to stop
0: you for a minute i want to go back to your homebrew game yeah 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 um, yeah was this is this something you're stealing from the Forgotten Realms or or anything like that or is this like you made a map you made a world you made everything kind of a thing? Yes. Wow. Uh, okay. I made, I made a map.
1: Uh, I mean, like I, I steal from the Forgotten Realms. Right. I feel like in this setting, like what we talked about earlier, you kind of have to steal from the Forgotten Realms if you want to want to do anything in this world. Um, but I also take from Greyhawk. I take from Eberron. I kind of just take from whatever fits the fancy at the moment. Okay. So, like. In in this uh, campaign setting, for example, I don't have Lathander or Palor as the as the de facto sun god, but instead I'm using Fultus because I think that Fultus as a deity has like he doesn't get a lot of spotlight, and I like the I like being able to use these these non conventional deities for what I'm trying to do. So that way it's like uh, if a player has been looking through the DM's guide or, or really paying attention, then at least I can still just throw things at them that maybe mm. aren't what they're expecting it to be. Uh, or like how uh, one of the gods of invention I have is Gond. I love Gond. Yeah. Gond is sweet. Uh, but like there are Warforged in my game. But the reason that the Warforged were invented was because there is a like there's a really tech heavy society that is all about wizards, inventors, arcanists, but they built the warforged specifically as a method of dealing with those wizards. So like all of the warforged have like the the war magic uh tradition feat okay. uh, or tradition, they have the warcaster feat. Like they are all about being able to properly combat a wizard, which was actually a really interesting thing to go into as like a character design standpoint because i was i would choose spells that were more like okay i need to spell magic i need this ability uh or like one of the items that i i gave one of them that i was able to play in uh in a friend's game i gave darren's instant fortress because i i've never been able to use an item like that before yeah but but uh since we were playing at level 10 I, I was able to convince the DM to let me put Darren's Instant Fortress inside of my mechanical familiar, have the familiar fly behind the enemy, have like a voice module speak the command word, fortress explodes on my turn, cast animate object. And since it's technically a huge object, I just had this giant battle tower just mashing into people.
0: I love it. So that sounds fun. epic.
1: And like, and like, that's the kind of stuff that I that I want in, in my D&D campaigns. That's the kind of thing. Uh, I think it was an interview with Todd Howard talking about Skyrim, where he said that the reason that they made Skyrim the way that they did is because they wanted a, they wanted a game that they could play themselves, that mm-hmm. they would actually have a lot of enjoyment in. And so when I'm designing dungeons, when I'm designing any aspect of this world, uh, it's, it's usually like, would I even enjoy playing through this? Like, if somebody else took my module and ran it for me, would I still have that same enjoyment? Mm-hmm. Or would it kind of be like, oh, well, I know how this ends. And then just kind of shrug and move on past that point.
0: And that's a... Uh, I was about to say problem. It's not really a problem, but, like, um, something that I face is that I... I think I have a different level or a different interest of fun than some of my players. So I'm just like, this is going to be really cool. And I really like this idea and I'm going to like give it to my players. And then they turn around and are just kind of like, Oh, well we'll just like bypass this cause we're not interested in it or we're not like that. And I'm like, Oh, but in my mind I'm like, but I would open the door or <laughs> I would like, I would sprinkle the incense down to summon the whatever. Cause like, I'm really curious about it or yeah. And like, like, uh, I guess I also think more tactical too. Like I gave my fighter a sword that casts uh, um, burning hands and another sword that casts gust of wind. And awesome. in my mind, I'm like, well, he should use action surge and like combine the two of them to cast two spells at once to make like a huge cone of fire. Yeah. Um, and when I told him that I was like, you know, I originally gave you those. Cause I kind of had this idea that you would use them like that. He'd never even thought about using them like that. It was just like, oh, like, but I can do that? Like I'm like, yeah, think outside the rules, like think more narratively and stuff, because that's I guess how I think. Like I want I want my players to bend the rules. Like I want them to try and and stump me and stuff. So
1: Yeah, no. DM's guide is just guidelines. Yeah. That's it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's really awesome.
1: Uh, Yeah. No, and like I'll I'll do things like one of the one of the moments that they refuse to let me forget is that uh, in a dungeon, I just had a hole in the wall. And it had scribblings on top of it. And if they had read Goblinoid, it had just said, no hands. What that hole actually was, was a bag of devouring. Because I also like using magic <laughs> items that don't get any love at all. So yeah. hole in the wall, in Goblin, no hands. Our half-orc is just like, I wonder what happens if I put my arm in here. Because yeah. none of them could read it. So just presenting that small air of just like, what could be here? Yeah. And then you just leave it be. Like, that, that kind of stuff is... That's that's what I love about being able to run the homebrew campaigns because otherwise, like going through like uh, like Dragonspire Castle or anything like that, fun. But I didn't design it, so I know that there's not going to be like a weird quirky we- trap off to the side, mm-hmm. or like there's not going to be any of those things that I that I bring to the table for that specific purpose. Or like how, how you always mentioned, like oh, I like playing uh, flavored monsters. One of the monsters that I had was a Mm -hmm. troll, but the way that I had it start was a goblin performed a ritual uh, and then uh, threw himself into a vat of molten gold. And when he came out, he was a, like, stat block-wise, he was a troll, but he called himself the Golden King and was just this weird amalgamation of dripping metal that was trying to chase the players for ruining his ritual.
0: (laughs) I also really like what you were saying earlier about using like a feat to kind of augment a race. Like if you want to create a new race in your um like maybe like uh like you're talking about the Warforge being super magical, maybe I want the antithesis of that. Like I want human beings to have these innate or I want a race that I'm gonna create that has an innate um adversity to magic. So I could give humans the mage slayer feat and like call them a new kind of uh race um and it's just like that's the fun creative stuff you can do in homebrew like it's really interesting and then second i was going to say have you ever run tomb of horrors because it seems like it's right up your alley oh,
1: i want to i have want to Have you read so it or mad. anything? I, I I the closest thing that i've read was like the AD&D version of okay. Tomb of Horrors that had the ro- that room with 3000 spikes yeah encounter. yeah um I the reason I didn't read that was because my my friend was actually DMing for Tomb of Annihilation uh, while we were going, and I was like, "Oh well, I know the Tomb of Horrors roughly. Like that is roughly what the the like a Sararak's tomb is."
0: At yeah, the end. they they took certain parts of it from my understanding. Um, it's been a while so, since I've read both, but <laughs> yeah.
1: So I I didn't want to spoil that part for yeah. me, so I was just like, "All right, well, I'm just gonna go into this game."
0: And then about two
1: months into us playing that game, our players set the forest on fire to deal with some spiders and three of us burned alive. So us at the table all sat around. We're like, all right, do we want to keep playing Tomb of Annihilation or do we want to move uh, to Curse of Strahd? Because other people had been actually really down on wanting to play that game. Mm-hmm. And so my, the DM that was running Tomb and I just switched places at the table uh, and then I opened up Curse of Strad and had the mists of, and had the smoke from the forest fire turn into the mists of Barovia and oh, just cool. sweep those players right into, right into the land.
0: That's awesome. I love it.
1: They, they my fiance did not look at me the
0: same. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy Curse
1: of Strad. It's fun.
0: So, uh, yeah, back to the games you're running. That is another one that you were currently running, correct? So yeah. is that, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, Curse of Strahd, uh, especially, like, with the with the video I did about learning the background of, like, of uh, of the creation of Castle Ravenloft and, and learning more about, like, okay, what what did they want Strahd to be? Mm-hmm. Because, like, you could easily play him as, like, oh, I am the evilest evil that's ever eviled and I am going to slash at anybody who does me wrong. The way that I like playing Strahd is very much, like, Player goes like the players are all very on edge about knowing where they are, about knowing this Dark Lord is out there. Their ranger, though, has a dinosaur companion because we were in Cholt. So rather than calling out to the players, I had Strahd call out to the animal and then lure the animal outside of the house. So the ranger, feeling drawn towards their pet, was like, Oh, I need to go and chase my pet out into the woods. And then once they arrived into the woods, who has a one-on-one with Strahd and like our rangers a goblin their pet is a Dimetrodon. so Strahd being in Barovia is like I've never seen any of these things before Mm -hmm. this is great you guys are my new playthings yeah welcome like please no (laughs) (laughs) they were not having it
0: that's interesting
1: but yeah that game started as a tomb of annihilation game uh and we're our players are still trying to find their way back to Cholt. That is their <laughs> reason. Like, it got to the point where, where they had Irina with them, like, the, the one girl that you're supposed to protect. And then Strahd was like, I can take you home if you just give me the girl. And they were like, yeah, sure, I don't care. Like, three of them immediately just gave her up. But then, like, the other the other group was like, okay, we need to get her back. And so there wa- I, the party was split between, okay, Strahd's, a killer but at least he'll send us home versus we need to actually do what we came here to do yeah now the group has is, is coalesced back together after they split themselves up three different ways that was a long session <laughs> of having to manage a three-way party split but we got them all back together and now they're in the town of alaki uh on their way out to the wizard the wizards of wine winery mm. like they we've fixed it we've Just band-aided the whole thing. It'll be fine. (laughs) Uh, But one of our our ranger actually couldn't make it to the game last night, and that is why we played Shadowrun, actually. Oh, yeah.
0: So that was the other you're playing. Yeah. I'm curious about Shadowrun because I hear from people that it is their favorite RPG system they never play. Yes. (laughs) Um, Because it is, well, because of reasons. And what reasons would you feel those are? Because I have not played Shadowrun, but I'm intrigued by it. So
1: the history of the game is our own history. Basically it goes until about 2020, just regular human time. So everything that we have established up till this point. So like both of us, if your character in Shadowrun was like, I want to look at the YouTubes of old, could probably find our videos. Mm. But after 2020, Uh, human beings started, uh, getting goblinized is the phrase. And that's actually how the orcs and the trolls of the world came about is that these humans just started turning into them. Uh, and then the elves and dwarves were also just like, they were just born into the world. Like humans just started giving birth to a dwarf, started giving birth to an elf. And it's really weird, uh, for, for just that that kind of background sense but the character classes and and just everything about the game feels very fun. Have you seen Blade Runner 2049? Yeah. So, you know that kind of like future futuristic but like everything just has that layer of filth on it. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's basically Shadowrun and the cuz technology's
0: kind of just taken over to a certain point but we still yeah. have like but in the game you still have elves and dwarves and these fantasy creatures and stuff but have, it's more more have
1: magic and oh you still have
0: magic and stuff too yeah you still
1: have magic but the the way that the magic is is that you have like combat mages but then you also have shamans because the way because with the history of the world magic has a resurgence and so the way that they describe it is is that all the indigenous peoples end up being like hey we've we've always been connected with the magic of the land they immediately like indigenous peoples all across the world because they never gave up on their old traditions immediately find themselves at the top of society because they have that leg up now where they mm. don't have to practice as hard to learn these new magical ways. So characters that you get are like, hey, I'm a rat shaman. And like, <laughs> there's just this character, like that was, that was one of our characters last night, was, a, was a, a ratkin shaman who was considered an orc, but looking at the character sheet was just like this rat-faced sewer dweller. And the character that I played was an orc investigator, but like the, the character portrait that they handed Made him look like a 1950s beat cop. Like he mm-hmm. just looked like a classic noir cop. And so you have these elements of, of our own past and of our own history that makes sense. There's not a detraction where you're like, well, I don't know what a diviner wizard would do. But I do know what an investigator would do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the, the thing that I like about it as well is that it's a D6 system where you are just trying to get, uh, like, you have your target number, you're trying to hit successes. So on certain rolls, it's like, all right, well, you need to roll a 4 or higher. A part that really threw me off last night was when I was told I needed to roll an 8 or higher, and I looked at my handful of D6s and was like, I don't know how I can do that. I feel like this number is unfeasible. But the way that you do that is just roll a D6. If you get a 6, re-roll it, add those two numbers together.
0: Oh, they explode then. then. Yeah, yeah they ex- dice they explode. Have- yeah,
1: yeah, they have the exploding pool, which is super nice. Um, but I have played, I played Vampire, and I've played the World of Darkness campaign setting, which uses the D10 system, has mm-hmm. that same, has the same exploding dice pool. But the thing that really drew me out of that game in particular was that I never knew what my skills did, without like really sitting down and and learning through the book. So it was like, I want, I want to hit a guy in the face. All right, you're going to want to use your brawl skill. Why wouldn't I use melee? Like, I feel like if I'm punching somebody, oh, well, melee is if you want to kick them. And, like, there's all these really Uh, small caveats with Vampire. But in Shadowrun, your skills are super easy, like, very, very easy turns. It's like, I have four points in car. Like, that's your driving skill. That's your repair skill for car. Like, general knowledge about cars. That is your ability. You have an ability called Etiquette, which is weird because it's it's like you're it's like uh combining all of your charisma checks into one. So persuasion, uh deception, performance, that's your etiquette ability. So they just really simplified a lot of the things that were going on with Mm -hmm. it. And the other part is is like there's no heroes or villains. There's only shadow runners. Because basically the the thing about those is that you have your mega corporations, which Want to stay mega corporations by the, uh, performing acts of uh, corporate espionage on smaller corporations. So large corporations will hire shadow runners to go in, steal the small company secrets, come back, get paid. Small corporations also hire shadow runners to then go and steal big company secrets mm. and then come back. But since there, since the 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 majority of the structure of the world has kind of just fallen, like just bottomed out, isn't there anymore there is no municipal government so all of the police forces are centered in these large corporate like large corporate areas and large corporate buildings so as a character it's almost like you're encouraged like i'm going to go in i shot a bunch of guards because weaponry is still a thing in this world and I'm not—I don't have to worry about it. As soon as I get out, so like you have that, like, oh, I can still be kind of a bad guy, but I can also be the good guy mm-hmm. because I'm, wor- I'm working for the underdog, mm-hmm. and like trying to get them, uh, get their company secrets, and that kind of thing. But the the other part about it is, is that since it's using technology that we have currently, you get to just go through every movie trope. Like the mission that we ran last night was a kind of heist, uh, kind of heist-like mission. But we had our hacker like hacking into the security cams, looping footage and like getting them to look other ways. We had people like we dressed up as janitors and were like walking through, and the the music that our our game master was playing throughout the entire time was perfect. I don't know how it happened, but like whenever there was a tense moment, that's when the beat would drop and the background was like, all right, we're in, and the music <laughs> would go. Like it was it was phenomenal. I I really want to play more Shadow Run. How many just, games have
0: you played so far?
1: Just the just one. just the one. Okay, just the and you're one.
0: you're in it. You're not DMing it, correct? No, no.
1: Okay. I for once I am not DMing. Yeah. This
0: <laughs> no, that sounds oh. really interesting. It's um, I like cyberpunk stuff, so I imagine that I would really like Shadowrun. Uh, is it? It's its own system, correct? You said it was a d6 yes. system, so it is its complete own system, and you just have a dice pool of d6s. Yeah. Um, Okay. So for some reason, I always thought it was like a 3.5 clone, but I guess I don't know where I thought that.
1: That's because they also have variant editions of the game. Okay. Like they, they had a, like a third edition of the game. They had, I think a 3.5 and now they're also on a fifth edition of the game. So it's one of those things where like, it's very easy to be like play but the flavor and it was like oh the fifth edition version of this game blows it was like but i like fifth edition D. why wouldn't i like fifth edition of this other game that yeah. is not owned by wizards hmm
0: interesting uh and then i guess well two more things we want to talk about but one i want to talk about what do you what do you think about dragon heist so far you're running dragon heist yes um how many sessions in are you on that
1: we are just one session in on that okay. so if you ever want to come by and check it out this is a good time uh, cuz our characters are all very new and
0: you're streaming but, it
1: yeah we are yeah. on tuesdays we stream it from 5:30 to 8:30 pacific standard time okay um, it's i'm having a blast with it because it is it is the large scale city that i was always curious about wanting to run a campaign in but never knew how mhm Um, mostly because it's like you, I mean, it's Ed, it's Ed Greenwood's crazy person dream. Like he like asked that guy like, Hey, what's on the corner of candle lane in the war district? And you'd be like, Oh, it's a potion shop. Like that, that guy has way too much knowledge about the city that he created. So that makes sense. (laughs) But at the same time, it's very daunting. But the way that the book is laid out is that it is a very good introductory read into a large scale city. So for people like myself who, who take a lot from other modules and kind of just slap it into a new setting, I feel like Waterdeep Dragon Heist is really good about getting you that street-level campaign. So it's, it's kind of like um, how Storm King's Thunder you can kind of think about as like an Avengers-style situation where it's like all of us versus a big bad and then we do this thing and then we get out. Whereas I feel like Dragon Heist is more like a Green Arrow comic where you are on street level. It's like uh, Spider-Man as well, where you are very much just like, okay, I need to run through these city streets because I can't just hop in a jet plane and fly away and hope for the best. Like Mm -hmm. you are very much ingrained in the city setting. So like within 30 minutes, our, our rogue had, I don't know why, but he decided to to kill two of the of the uh, Xanathar agents that were attacking a Zent inside of the yawning portal. But then Dernan, the 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 guy who owns the yawning portal, came up and was like, "Listen, I hope you either have ten thousand, like two thousand gold, or ten years worth of hard time free, uh, because there is a code of conduct in this city." And mm. I think that if anything, that's the best takeaway. For this entire book, is that there is a it's called the code legal, and so what it is is that it outlines like hey if you assaulted somebody there is a price for that if there is a problem like if there is a murder that happens here's the like here's the like the the punishment for that because as a DM I never know how to deal with that yeah like, in my own games it's just like oh a player murdered somebody in the street give me fifteen silver or Shrug.
0: put them in jail and then they get a breakout like what? yeah do you, yeah, yeah
1: like I, I always found it really hard so with this large-scale city having a very set code of conduct that the players have to abide by or else they're all going to jail I feel like that's really I feel like that's really cool to incorporate into the game itself mostly because I've never known how to do that before so the fact that that's included in the book makes it very easy that and the the way that it's structured
0: it reads so well and that's mm-hmm. the most important part for gms pretty- especially yeah oh. you want to be able to like sit down and enjoy what you're reading so
1: <laughs> and 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 that's the thing is like when you're reading it they break it up into into the into the chapters based on the season because that is one of the core factors about dragon heist is that the heist that you're going on changes with the season that it is in waterdeep so, like, spring, you're going up against Xanathars. Summer, you're going up against, uh, like, uh, nobles in Waterdeep. Fall, you're going up against Jarlaxle. And in winter, you're actually going up against Mashun, I think? The old Netherese wizard? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's back uh, as a as he's a He's like a clone or
0: something. He's come back. Yeah, there was yeah. uh, some Manchun wars where... Um, all of the Manchuns. There was like twenty or twenty-five of them. Were attacking each other. Uh, yeah, yeah. You can research that on Forgotten Realms Explained. <laughs> Woo!
1: Uh, but yeah, like the the thing with Manshoon now though is that they have introduced spells like Simlacrum into into the list of spells that we have the option for. So right now, like in in the confines of the book, he's not making like clone clones of himself that takes six months six months to incubate and then don't do anything. He's using some lacrums to just go out throughout the city. And in that storyline, there's like a fraction between the Zentarum because the black network either A, is totally down with Manchun or B, really doesn't want anything to do with this guy who just showed up out of the shadows and was like, I'm the leader.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, but cool. It, Not yeah, to get no. into too many spoilers, I guess, cuz there's people out there that are probably playing it. Um, but do you feel like this is the new Lost Minds of Fandelver? Like is this is this the one you buy for new DMs or is this yes. more like a hey, this is a city thing. You should you should learn how to DM a regular campaign before you DM an urban encounter?
1: I would say that this is Perfect for new DMs, specifically because of Volo's and Kyridian of Waterdeep, which takes up the last half of the book. Mm-hmm. So, so going into Lost Minds of Fandalbert, like again, like you have you have your basic adventure, but then you don't really know how how you need to role play NPCs. Like you have little bits and blurbs, but there's not a whole lot of backing based on that. And as a new DM, my first campaign that I ran was Storm King's Thunder. That was a lot yeah um, so then like looking at Waterdeep, being like, man, I wish I had had this at the very beginning because it's so short uh, it, it really is short. It's only like three chapters or something like that okay three, four chapters um, And how then, many sessions
0: do you think to finish it like a couple months or if you're playing weekly? I am going to I'm going to make a claim and I'll probably be wrong
1: but I think we could probably get through it by Christmas. Mostly because the the sessions are like the the way that it's laid out makes it very easy to just kind of go from point A to point B to point C. Like it's very objective based. So okay. like in Storm King's Thunder, when you hit chapter three, it was like, uh, up in the air. What does it really matter where you go? This is very much like, no, you need to go to this building, you need to go and visit these people. It's very it's very regimented in that way, but it still leaves uh it still leaves wiggle room to be able to just do what you actually want to do, what you need to do Cool. Uh, in the confines of the game. Um, yeah, no, I think that it would be, if, if this was the first adventure that I ran, man, that would have been nice. Yeah,
0: okay, that's cool. Fantastic.
1: But what about you? What about your games that you played this week? Oh,
0: man. So, well, I'm playing Hot Springs Island, which I know you were really excited, and you wanted me to run Hot Springs Island with Dungeon Crawl Classics. I think you were just like, Jordan, it's like a match made in heaven. And I still believe that. And maybe one day, now that I'm more familiar with Hot Springs, I feel like I could run it as a DCC game really easily. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that might be in the cards in the future. Um, But uh, having lots of fun with that, um, players are trying to find these Elven runes. um, And they have not found them yet, but they know they exist. So they're kind of making their way... South to look for them, um, and they're we're just exploring hex by hex, and they're kind of going really thoroughly in the hex looking for these ancient runes. They found some hints of there are these giant um, hydra statues that they found one made out of obsidian and the other made out of uh, hematite. Oh, that's and they're foreshadowing for other creatures that might be on the island, which is kind of cool. Um, and like, why did these ancients create these giant statues of these crazy hydras? That are floating around. Uh, I had a guy, the same guy, um, we need Carl Sagan back on YouTube, that I answered a bunch of Hot Springs Island questions. He had some more questions that I thought I'd answer um, about Hot Springs Island because it's, it's interesting. So he asked, what levels did you start your PCs at? And my level, they started at level two. Which, in hindsight, maybe I should have made them level three, but I like that they were so panic stricken at the beginning. It made them want to like wheel and deal with creatures like the Night Axe ogres rather than just go straight out and fight them. Yeah. Um, and so I think level two is good, and then the fights that they did get into, they leveled to three pretty quickly, like within one session. I think they were level three, and now now they're level four, and things have like. They feel more confident about the island, but the island has like hardened them into feeling that confidence as opposed to them just kind of walking in and they're like, we're adventurers. I'm like, no, Hot Springs Island is dangerous. Like you guys are, it's a scary place. So I had them start at level two. Um, if they die, I'm going to have them come back as level two, I think. Um Okay. I don't know. Cause we had one person die already and I made him go back to level two, but he died from a level three to a level two, so it kind of made sense. If they're like level six or eight, maybe I'll incorporate something so that they're maybe just a level behind or something. Um yeah. I want there to be some kind of detriment for dying. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. But I liked I liked level two. I thought it was really good. Um and he mentions that like the Martell Company, it's a dangerous place. Did you have them train? Uh I had how they got to the island is I had the Martel company um, basically buy their debt. So I said, you don't know, like you can come up with anything you want, but you guys are in so much debt that you don't know what to do with yourself. Like you've, ac- you've accumulated debt somehow, whether it's gambling, whether it's uh, a business that went under, like however you want to decide that. But the Martel company bought your debt and thus kind of bought you. And so you are an indentured servant to the Martell company. And because of your your servitude, they're going to send you to this um, island where you're going to look for treasure and then pay off your debt by handing in treasure to the Martell company. So they have these magical tattoos on their backs. And whenever they give gold or cash or money or items that can be converted into gold back to the Martell company, their tattoo like shrinks or lightens. It kind of like goes away. And so it's, it's a like it's an unknown number between how much gold they have to do because I want the adventure to last as long as my adventurers want the adventure to last. But yeah. uh, so they're going to hand over stuff periodically to the Martell company and their tattoos are going to fade um, until they're fully gone and their debt is repaid. So yeah, it's kind of a fun mechanic. And but they were asking me, my players, like, well, how much money do we have to give? And I straight up told them, I'm like, I don't know. You don't know. So like, it's just a number that we're going to have to find together. Like, you know, do you find an entire city of gold? Maybe that's enough. Maybe not. Like, we'll see.
1: Just get them, just have them pour their dice bags upside down, count up all the numbers, yeah. two zeros <laughs> at the end. And just be like, that's how much money you owe.
0: That's, that's actually not bad. Um, how exactly did you get them to the island and which hex did they start in? I, I picked a random hex that was on the coast. Um, and I just had them start there. So they started on the, um, the West coast in, in an area, uh, and they got there just because, like I said, they work for the Martel, or they're indentured servants to the Martell company. And so that's why they're here. Um, where did they meet the Martell company? We kind of just hand waved that and said they bought your debt. So that's how you, that's why you're here at the Island, um, And then it's interesting, he asks, how do you handle timed events? Because there are certain events where, like, this happens during a full moon, or this happens on the first day of spring. If they're in this hex at this particular time, this happens. Um, And... For this i 've just used the rule of cool like if they 're in an if they 're in an area and it 's like no it 's not we 're not ready for this yet like i 'm not ready for them to to have i 'm um, not ready for them to to fight x, y and z or to experience this thing, so we 'll just say this is what you find, you guys move on, but if they ever go back to that and it feels like the right time, I might do it, otherwise, I have just been like, no, like this would be cool like let 's have this event happen. Um, or they went to uh, a specific obsidian obelisk um, or I should say like a tower that has like a, a plateau at the top and they climbed to the top of this. And it was at nighttime that they did that and they were lucky to be there at night because the stars reflect in the obsidian tower oh. and they're able to, to chart um, uh, constellations out with this. And so it's, like, there's, like, a magical constellation. Like, it it links all the stars on the bottom so they can see the constellations. And that's just cool. And so it's kind of cool. Like, if they they didn't experience that, I don't want to be like, well, you guys should really wait until nightfall. Like, you know, just let it happen naturally, I guess. And they've missed some stuff, but that's kind of the point of the game is that it's so expansive and so big. Um, And then the final question I don't really want to answer, but he asks... Mm, no, I'm not even going to ask it, so because <laughs> so, it, it's a little too spoilery for the things uh, for Hot Springs Island. So I shouldn't have even brought it up because now everybody's <laughs> curious. So I apologize, but um, uh, I was going
1: to say, so with the with the timed events as well, I feel like having players miss out on timed events is that's kind of what makes board games and tabletop RPGs fun is that it is that living world. Like yeah. it's not that you're necessarily hitting like, Oh, I, I walked to this square. So now I get the cutscene. Like,
0: yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and that's like, and there's been a really well, partially I thought this would kill my players, but there's a really cool one that they have not experienced because I'm just like, well, I'm either going to kill them all if they don't run or, um, this will be like something they talk about and tell their grandchildren about, kind of experience because it's just that epic. Um, mm-hmm. but they've and they've gone there once, and I just kind of was like, it wasn't the right time for that. Um, and I think in the book it says it happens on like the first day of summer or something like that. So you kind of just have to decide, like, what is it? And we don't have a calendar, I'm not keeping track of that. I'm keeping track of, um, of days like how many days have they been there and how many days um well how many days have they been there and how how many how long have they been traveling because that does experience or it kind of tells me like okay they've been here two weeks it might be time for them to experience this so but as far as like what season it is i'm like i don't know it's hot springs island it's hot you guys it's humid it's It's awful so Um, I've been working a lot on kids on bikes cause I'm going to do a Halloween game. We're going to record it on the 14th of October. I've got some microphones set up for like podcasting. So we're going to actually record it, record it. And then I think I'm going to release it on YouTube on the Sa- Saturday morning D and D show channel as a live event. So around Halloween, I'll release it as a live event. And how that works is you guys can watch it like you're watching Twitch right now. It's just like a broadcast kind of, um, event But it'll be pre-recorded, but you can, like, type and and have conversations with people during it as a live event. Um, Just to try out something new. I thought it'd be kind of fun. But um, I've been working a lot on that. And so my players are going to be kids in 1982 that are going trick-or-treating. And they've been double-dog-dared to go into the, quote, haunted house that all the kids are, like, scared of. So they kind of detour from trick-or-treating in their costumes, and they break into this haunted house um, and it's all the crazy stuff that they find on the inside is going to be the adventure. I'm having some problems, and I've been googling a lot of like what to put in a haunted house because I'm just like I don't know. And then I've never run kids on bikes before, so I don't know how long. Like, did I have I made a dungeon that's going to take us six hours or one hour? Like, and I say dungeon, but you know what I mean, like a haunted yeah, house yeah, that yeah. for yeah, DM the relative terms. Under the house. <laughs> so. It's been it's been interesting whether I'm prepping too much or too little. Um, I was considering maybe if I can find some free time to find people online like yourself and Sir Lucian and some others, and maybe just run through a like I just so I get I get my feet wet on kids on bikes, and that could be a lot Ooh. of fun. And I'll make like another adventure that we are like, hey, I don't know how long this is going to last, but like we can try that. So yeah. that that could be a lot of fun. I bet I you'd down. be interested in that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because you need more games games to play, yeah.
1: Always.
0: (laughs) Who needs sleep? I have games. Exactly, exactly. Um, My homebrew campaign is going really well, and I'm having lots of fun with it. Now that we're playing again, we took like a hiatus. But they're in a mega dungeon. And I was going to ask you, like, how do you feel about mega dungeons? Because first of all, I'll say this. Like, I personally really like them, but I feel like my players might be getting either bored or maybe i'm confusing that with just really lost because it is a maze like they're just here and they're just like so did we go north did we go south i can't remember like what room is this again because there's been so many rooms that we've encountered um and i don't know like how do you feel about mega dungeons
1: so i personally don't mind mega dungeons mostly because of the like most of the games that, like, in, in the homebrew campaign that I play in, most of the time that we've spent has just been, like, going out into the world and, like, there's no real dungeon-delving aspect to it. Yeah, A lot of it is just going out and, like, hey, we found a guy in a town. Okay, let's talk to this guy. You're like, hey, we did this thing over here. And it's more of, like, that political kind of kind of espionage versus, versus just, like, hey, let's go into a dungeon. Um, but the closest thing that we had to that was our DM sent us through Limbo. Uh, and the way that he had Limbo set up as a plane was just this really long expanse and it took us the better part of like three months to get through just as a place and it's it was it was very fun to start because it was this brand new encounter this this is this ready situation of like all right what's gonna come next but after a that initial burst of excitement then it it really started to kind of drag for us because it was like okay we like
0: we're still here kind of we're thing. still here yeah. that's
1: great like and and there's nothing wrong with that i feel like as a dm wanting to have this this large grandiose dungeon but i feel like you have to have the right people who really want to go into this dungeon and i feel like a dungeon is better than limbo uh as far as, as that goes mostly because it's confined and doesn't have a bunch of crazy stuff happening all the time
0: well and i get like
1: sorry go ahead i i I was gonna say i feel like giving them the option of either like a save point or a check mark system where like once they hit a certain spot okay we've amassed all this gold we've amassed all this stuff let's go back to town kind of like how several months ago i think when you were talking about your tomb of annihilation game uh you brought up that your wizard had access to like a teleport spell so that way you could go back, or or some kind of recall, mm-hmm. where your group could then go back to town, rest up, kind of have that have that moment of downtime mm-hmm. to really like okay, shake the hands. All right, all right, let's get back into it. And I yeah. feel like giving like the problem with mega dungeons is that there isn't that resting spot. Like every time you go to sit down somewhere, oh great, a grick just showed up out yeah. of the wall, and now he's attacking us. Okay, we killed that now to go to sleep oh the wall is actually a gelatinous cube imagine that like every time you go to rest or every time you go to sit down you're constantly put back on edge and i think for players that gets really difficult uh over an extended period of time for short bursts i think it's i think it's totally fine but i feel like in the long run there needs to be an option for your players to either rest up uh or like have those have those moments where they can just sit back and be like all right let's talk about like let's talk about this dungeon experience. Like let's go over what we've covered so far. Let's Mm -hmm. get our bearings and not feel pressured that the time that we're spending getting our bearings is just time that another monster is going to come and attack us.
0: And it kind of goes back to what I was thinking is that they're lost. Like they're not necessarily bored. They're just lost because it is so big and they don't know where to go. And so having that like, Oh, we can always retreat back to the, our home point. Like, that gives us a place where we know we're not lost, and then we can dive back into it. Because what's the difference between a mega dungeon and a Hot Springs Island hex crawl? Like, there really isn't, I mean, one one of them, well, yeah, one of them's underground. Uh, (laughs) But no, like, mechanically, there's no real difference. You're going to a new square, you're exploring that square, and then that square goes into other directions and you choose one of those random directions to go into and keep exploring. And it's kind of the same thing. They go into a room, they find two doors, they go to the door on the left and they keep exploring. So I was wondering like, well, what's the difference between my hot Springs Island group who is having a really great time exploring and my homebrew campaign where they're kind of like, we're, we're just kind of lost. And I think that's it is they're lost. Like the hot Springs Island group can look at the map and be like, we're here. Here's how we get to where we want to be. Um, we don't know what's in between all of that. Uh, but I don't necessarily want to give the map of my mega dungeon to my players because for reasons, like, you know, it's it's part of the experience is for them to be confused and to explore, I guess. But they don't really have a direction to go other than down. Um, so. I was gonna say you could
1: have like a a, pre- a previous group of adventurers that possibly met their fate while going through the dungeon mm. that has like a map, not necessarily of the entire dungeon, but just a map that leads them back to the exit. Yeah. Or no, like and I I think
0: city. we've established that they've been cartographing their whole way here, so if they do want to go back, they can. Um, I just have uh, a couple of like random encounters that I roll on to see if they encounter anything as they're leaving because it is still a dangerous full dungeon. Um, yeah, but they could get out of it if they wanted to. So far, they've they've been sticking with it because I think they haven't they haven't found the like huge amount of gold that they're looking for or like mm. magic items or something that they need appraised in order to facilitate them actually leaving. But yeah,
1: but Joshua- I don't know. It was kind
0: of like food for thought i was i was really thinking about that the other day where i'm like there's really no difference between the two but i've got one group that's like really excited and i've got another group that's just kind of like hmm like where are we going and i think maybe i need to have that that point of exit maybe i need to put like a um a save point or a teleportation circle that they can like get back out of so
1: or even if it was like you find a door to a private sanctum and like, yeah
0: to, and they oh, have found that they have found like a safe place like i did find a room that they could like barricade up and that i wouldn't roll nightly encounters so i'm just like no you can be safe in there you can be hidden in there um so that's completely fine but yeah so and then that's that was like my main question the only other things that are happening in D is i'm on saver dice and the finale to saver dice is going to be uh this wednesday so be sure to watch man, that because it's going to be really done. really awesome Uh, the last episode we had, I've never played a high level wizard before and my God, those spells are fun. Like those spells are a lot of fun. And so, um, I took the spell banishment and we were fighting this like weird ethereal dragon that was attacking us. And basically we needed to get out of there as fast as possible. And so I cast banish and it poof went away for exactly one minute. And I used that exact one minute to scribe down a teleportation circle to like teleport us away from this dragon and die. we're now like on the run trying to get away from it That's uh so and cool, though. it was awesome and if you watched the episode like it literally came down to that well if he rolls under my uh my dc for my spell we have a chance if not <laughs> we're all gonna die and so it was crazy and um Uh, Cody from Taking Twenty was just like, like I'm gonna kiss your character if this works. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. I mean, like we don't need to go that far. Like I'm happy I'm alive too, guys. But uh, it was a lot of fun though. Um, It was, it was, uh, it's just really fun to play with those high level spells. Like I've had a lot of fun with this wizard. Makes me want to play. Makes me want to play more high level campaigns or like run more high level campaigns because you can just do more interesting stuff, um, which is scary sometimes as a dungeon master when you're just kind of like, I don't know how to handle this, but yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, awesome possum. I was kind of like going in chat, but I was talking a lot. So thank you guys so much for coming out and watching us, um, for the Saturday morning D and D show. Anything else you want to talk about before we take off, sir?
1: Uh, no, I actually, I I covered most everything. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. Plug, plug (laughs) your stuff. Where can people find you? Uh, People can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash simple and keen. You can find me on Twitch at uh, twitch.com slash indoor underscore adventure. You can find me on Twitter where I post a lot. So it's the best way to get into contact me. Contact with me really is just, just shoot me a message on Twitter. It'll be great.
0: Yeah, that's Awesome. Uh, And you can follow me on Twitter as well. Uh, We always love messages and chatting back and forth with fans. It's really awesome. Uh, Thank you guys so much for coming out. Uh, Let's raid. I don't know how to do that.
1: I don't know how to do it either. that That is definitely a Lucian thing. What? Posting all
0: the links. There we go. We're going to raid the RPG lab with you guys. Thank you guys so much for coming out. Um, really love hanging out with all of you. Uh, Indoor Adventurer, thank you so much for coming out and being a really cool guy. Um, and with that, I will see you guys in the next uh, episode of the Saturday Morning d d Show. Goodbye! Goodbye!